The following prayers were all prayed by kids who were either six or seven years old. Debbie prayed, Dear God, please send a new baby. The one you sent last week cries too much. (laughs) Jimmy prayed, Dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Hank prayed, Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day. You even fooled the TV weatherman. And finally, David prayed, Dear God, I need an allowance. Can you have your angels tell my father? I love to listen to kids pray because they are often simple, but they're incredibly honest, straight-from-the-heart prayers. This morning, we're going to talk about prayer, specifically how we can worship through prayer. Now, when you think about the Bible, there's many examples throughout the Bible of well-known prayers, people who prayed well, um, famous prayers, whatever it may be. Some of the big ones that might jump out are going to be the obvious ones, such as Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. Or maybe Daniel and his consistent praying, even in the midst of persecution. Or maybe a prayer not as well known, but still impactful, is the prayer of Jabez. There are many to choose from. But this morning, I'm going to look at one man in particular who had a good prayer life. We're going to look at three specific events that happened in his life and see what we can learn from them. I believe there's a lot we can learn that will help us as we continue to look at what it means to worship God through prayer. I will be reading from the book of 2 Kings. As I said, we'll be looking at three different events, so it's going to be three different passages in 2 Kings, so I'm going to keep you on your toes this morning. First one comes from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. It said, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abihah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There is no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. Then turning to chapter 20. Verses 1 through 7 says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. 
I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Then Isaiah said, Prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. And going back to chapter 19, verses 14 through 19. Thus Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time focusing on Hezekiah and the history behind him, but I do want to point out that the name Hezekiah means the Lord strengthens. And during his 29-year as reign as king, he definitely needed God's strength. Much like other God-honoring kings such as Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah, Hezekiah's model was King David. Which meant even though he made mistakes just as David did, he did seek to obey and honor God. The first point this morning is that we need to make room for God in our lives. The first event we read about is the first event we're going to be looking at, and that's when Hezekiah first became king. Now, when you think about our country today, what's the first thing a president normally does when they're inaugurated? They go and sign executive orders. It's tradition. As soon as they go in office, the first thing they do is sign some executive order as their first act of being president. Well, for Hezekiah, his first act of being king was to start to turn his kingdom back to God. He was trying to get things back on track. He broke the snake that Moses had made because the Israelites were not learning from their mistakes and decided to worship it. So he destroyed it. Now, we don't necessarily worship objects today. I don't think too many of you have golden snakes in your house that you're worshiping. If you do, you might need to have a conversation. But we do tend to get our priorities mixed up sometimes. When we start to elevate things or activities above God or what God wants for us. And thankfully, Hezekiah, unlike his father, was a man of faith. And he chose to place his trust in the one true living God rather than the idols, rather than the snake that so many of the Israelites were worshiping. But this was just the beginning. He wasn't wasting any time and getting them back on track. I said his father Ahaz was the complete opposite. He went so far as to seal the doors of the temple so that people would not be allowed to worship. He built an idol to a false god and placed it on the porch of the temple that was built for the one true God. He even disbanded the Levites, whose responsibility, their whole calling, their life's purpose, was to serve God, to serve the temple. And he disbanded their whole purpose, everything that they were meant to do. And because of this, his father caused their kingdom to be invaded by other kingdoms, such as Syria, Edom, and the Philistines. 
Hezekiah was changing this. He took all the Levite priests that had been ordered to disband and called them back together. He called them to sanctify themselves so that they could clean and purify the temple, so they could restore worship, just as Moses had commanded. You see, worshiping God in the temple was the heartbeat of the Jewish nation. If that was wrong, then everything else in that nation would be wrong as well. Hence, their constant being invaded by other nations. As I said, this wasn't just a simple cleaning. He wasn't just trying to reorganize where things were placed or do a little dusting. He was cleaning this temple from top to bottom. And it took 16 nonstop days for them to be able to clean this place. They cleaned every instrument, every corner, perfectly clean, and then they purified it. It's an important lesson for us as believers and as a church that if we're to experience transformation through worship and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must first begin with cleansing our lives of the garbage and things that slowly accumulate over time. The more these things accumulate in our life, the more they become a distraction, and the more we become focused on them rather than Christ. How many of you like to go to a yard sale or a good thrift store? Anybody? Got, got a couple? All right. Well, we are, Katie and I are avid yard sailors, and we love to go to a good thrift store. Last week, while we were on vacation in Alabama, we had the opportunity to go to a thrift store that Katie's sister and brother, or sister and husband work at that funds the ministry they're serving at. What was truly amazing was they were able to get us backroom access, the coveted backroom of the thrift store. We got to see where all the good stuff was. I was very excited. It was the highlight of my trip. You can ask Katie if you don't believe me. But I was in utter amazement at the amount of items that this thrift store had. But it was even more amazing looking at the system they had in place to organize it. People would drop their stuff off, and every single thing had a place. The decor, the toys, the clothes. It amazed me. But they also had a place for the things that they could not sell. As you know, there's things that even a thrift store can't sell. And so it was very important for this entire system that things that could not sell, that did not have value, they needed to be removed. They needed to be taken out to the dumpster. And they didn't waste any time. They had a whole pile of dumpsters out back that they would take stuff to. But it kind of clicked in my head as I was thinking about this passage that they had to remove the things that were not of value in order to make room for the things that were of value the things that were what the purpose of that thrift store was there for. So how often does this happen in our lives? We have things in our lives that might not necessarily be a sin, but they're still cluttering our lives. They're cluttering our spiritual lives. They're things that are causing us not to have room for Christ. I don't know what they are for you, but you do. And more than likely, you may have already been thinking about them as I've been thinking, as I've been speaking. But just like the thrift store disposed of the stuff that took up space, we too need to make room for God and his blessings by getting rid of the things cluttering our lives. It may be hard initially. We tend to get attached to our belongings and attached to things. But the results will leave a huge impact on our life, on our spiritual life, in a way we would never believe. So whether you aren't a believer, whether you're a new believer, or an old believer, there's always things you can do to cleanse your life, to make more room for Christ. 
And that's the important thing to remember is it's not a one-time job. Just as we need to clean our homes more than once or else dirt will pile up, we need to make cleaning the garbage from our lives a routine. And so when Hezekiah restored the temple, he was doing more than physically cleaning this building. He was restoring the worship in Jerusalem. But there were still false gods and idols throughout the kingdom. You see, the temple was the one place you could worship the one true God, but you could worship an idol wherever you wanted. So they popped up all over the kingdom, and Hezekiah knew this. So after the temple was purified, he had a huge Passover feast that lasted two weeks. Imagine that, two-week-long feast. But the purpose of this feast was where he established a new covenant with God. And at the end, he pronounced this incredible benediction that you can read and probably already know from Numbers chapter 6. And as the people left there, they were filled with the Spirit. And they went out into their homes. They went into all the parts of the kingdom and destroyed all these idols. All along the way to Judah, to Benjamin, to Ephraim, to Manasseh, all the tribes were destroying their idols. See, this is where the previous good kings messed up. They would take down the main idols, but they would always leave some in the high hills or leave some somewhere. But Hezekiah wanted to make sure that they were completely wiped out. So it's another thing to, it's one thing to experience revival, but it's another thing to go home and live that revival out in your life. Revival or transformation starts in our hearts first, then our church, and then our community. That leads me to my second point, which is that we need to humble ourselves before God. This leads us to the second event in Hezekiah's life that led him literally pleading to God for his life. Have you ever found yourself pleading to God? Oftentimes, some of our most passionate prayers come when we're in a time of distress. I already said that up to this point, Israel had, or Judah had been attacked several times under Hezekiah's father. Well, when Sargon, the king of these attack, this attacking nation, died in battle, he's replaced with Shennacherib. And transition seemed like a good time to rock the boat. So Hezekiah decided he was going to break this yoke. He decided he was not going to pay the annual tribute to Assyria, which was what kept them safe from being invaded again. So in the year 715 BC, Shennacherib and his armies invaded, invaded Judah and were very quickly approaching Jerusalem. Hezekiah, who had felt very emboldened to the point where he was going to say, I'm not paying this anymore, we, aren't, we don't need to answer to you, was all of a sudden shaking with fear. His faith was showing to be incredibly weak, and he humbled himself before the Assyrian king and paid the tribute that he owed, in the amount of 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. And to make matters even worse, he used gold and silver that was from the temple treasury to pay for it. So following this series of events, Hezekiah found himself gravely ill. In 2 Chronicles, it tells us that Hezekiah became proud and that this was how the Lord was going to humble him. This was no normal illness. It was nothing they had seen up to this point. It's so severe that Isaiah, the prophet, went to him and told him to put his house in order, which basically meant, hey, you're going to die. At this time, his son would eventually become king. 
which was not a good thing because his son was only seven years old. Now, there were other young kings, such as Joash, who became the king at the age of seven, but the difference between him was he had people in his life who were godly people to, to advise him and to guide him. Hezekiah's son would have no such help. Essentially, the throne in David, the dynasty that David had created, was in jeopardy of ending forever. But Hezekiah learned from his mistake, and he turned away from everything around him and focused on praying to God. In his prayer, he was claiming the promise that God had made to David and his descendants, that if they remained faithful to him and his laws, that they would live. In other words, he was reminding God that he had been faithful to him and that he, was, he purified the temple and that he was turning people back to God, turning his kingdom back to him, and that he was qualified to live. God answered his faithfulness in his prayer by sending Isaiah back to him, only this time it was with a treatment that would help him to be healed. And in this passage, we see two great promises that Isaiah was to share with him. The first is that he would recover that he would be worshiping at the temple again within three days, and that God would add 15 years to his life. And a second promise was that if the Assyrians returned to Jerusalem, that God would defend and deliver the city. Even though in Scripture this illness happens after the second attack, it really happened before, as these events aren't necessarily in chronological order. So keep in mind that Hezekiah doesn't know about the coming attack, even though it's before chapter 20. But if this wasn't enough, God also chose to perform a miracle to assure Hezekiah of his promises. He caused the shadow on the steps of Ahaz, which is a sundial, to go back 10 degrees. Now, the only way this would be possible is to make time go back or cause the sun to change. We don't know exactly which one of these ways it happened, but we do know regardless that it was an incredible, incredible miracle that God had done, simply to remind Hezekiah to remain faithful to him and that he will, God will remain faithful to him as well. My first point was that in order to have transformation, in order to have revival, we need to get rid of the garbage in our lives. Well, in order to cleanse our lives, to get rid of the garbage, we have to humble ourselves before others, and more importantly, before God. Hezekiah was in a crisis where he was literally moments away from death. But because he was faithful to God, because he helped turn his kingdom back to God, he was able to call out to God for healing, for forgiveness, for the pride that he did let creep into his life. Have you ever found yourself doing a task that you believed you could or should be able to do on your own? It could be doing a simple repair on your vehicle. It could be driving to a new destination without asking for directions, or in today's day and age, without using a map or GPS. It could be putting together a piece of furniture. Whatever that task is, and then you realize that you can't actually do it on your own. And it would be easier if you had some help. And then when someone comes and offers their help, all of a sudden you feel very emboldened to say no. You don't need their help. You can figure it out. You're able to do it yourself. This is pride. This is what pride is. And these examples might be humorous, 
but pride makes each one of these tasks more difficult. The same is true in our spiritual walk as well. We tend to let pride into our lives and think we can solve our problems on our own. All this does is put up a barrier between us and God, a barrier that keeps us from going to God, the one person who can actually help us. In order to go to God and worship through prayer, we need to do as Hezekiah did and humble ourselves before God. We need to admit that we've let sin, that we've let pride creep into our lives, and that we're coming to him on our hands and knees with humble hearts. My final point this morning is that we need to rely on the power of God at all times. So this is the last major event of Hezekiah's life that we'll be looking at. In 2 Chronicles 32.1 it says, After these deeds of faithfulness, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. The deeds of faithfulness that's being referenced here is talking about everything Hezekiah had done. He had done more to restore the kingdom to God than any other king had, and now his nation is being invaded. You're tempted to think that after everything he did, that he would be tempted to turn his nation, everything he did to turn his back to God, that God would reward him by giving him peace. But here we find the complete opposite. God has allowed the Assyrians to enter Judah, and now they were threatening to take Jerusalem as well. But God had his divine purposes that he was going to fulfill in Hezekiah's life, as well as the life of his nation. Now, you can spend a whole sermon in how God did deliver Hezekiah, but essentially, he sent an angel in the night that destroyed 185 Assyrian soldiers, one single angel. As monumental as this task was, it was incredibly easy for God. But it was much more difficult work to work on Hezekiah and transform him into a man of faith that he was becoming. That's why God allowed these armies in, to help transform Hezekiah, to help him grow in his faith, to help his nation grow in his faith, because we all know Israel and Judah have a tendency to waver in their faith. But when we allow God to have his way, the trials of life that we find ourselves facing start to work for us instead of against us. They in turn help us to bring glory to God through them. Hezekiah truly was a great king that had done great things for his kingdom to bring them back to a proper posture of worship. But as great as he was, he continued to struggle with his pride. And God knew this. King Hezekiah needed to learn once and for all that even though he was in charge of his kingdom, he was truly second in command, and that the Lord alone was sovereign over all other people and things. He had 14 more years to live by this point, and I'd say it was a safe bet he didn't want to spend them in captivity. As terrifying as it must have been to have hundreds of thousands of soldiers preparing to attack, Hezekiah had one thing to rely on. And that was a promise that God had made him earlier when he had been healed. The promise he had delivered through Isaiah. The promise that if the Assyrians had attacked again, that God would protect and deliver Hezekiah and his kingdom. Hezekiah had this great promise to believe. It's important for us to remember that as God's people, we shouldn't live on explanations. We live on promises. 
Things won't always make sense, but we can rely on the promises that God has given us in Scripture. The promises that we have through the salvation made possible through his death, son's death on the cross. So Sennacherib and his armies were at Jerusalem's doorstep. This was shortly before they were delivered. He had sent several of his highest officials, officials to speak with Hezekiah's officials. And all they did was try to bring down the morale of the people within the city, attacking anything that they might rely on to save them. They said if they relied on Egypt for assistance, they would be abandoned. If they relied on God, that they would be defeated because every other nation's God had failed them up to this point. And finally, they said that Judah's armies were far inferior and they would be slaughtered if they did not surrender and start paying tribute once again. And then they said that if they didn't, if they refused, they would all die of starvation. That Shnecherib sent a letter directly to Hezekiah, essentially saying the same thing he had said before to his officials. Safe to say this was probably the greatest trial that Hezekiah would have to endure. In the same way, or at least in a similar way, I don't think we have to worry about an army attacking us. But we do have threats that we are faced with. What is your threatening letter? If you're to go to the mailbox tomorrow or your email or your phone or wherever you receive messages, what would be waiting for you there? As I started on this point, your mind already probably started to go to something that might be threatening that you're going through. Maybe it could be a financial threat in the form of extra bills or an income shortfall. Or maybe it's a relational threat in the form of a family member that seems to always be causing issues or workplace conflict with coworkers. Maybe it's a spiritual threat where you feel like God has been distant and you haven't been able to focus on your relationship with him due to the busyness of life. Whatever it is for you, continue to think about what your threatening letter would be if you were to receive one. I read a quote that said, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. This is what we see Hezekiah do, and it's what we should do when we are facing threatening things or trials in our life. You see, Hezekiah took this blasphemous letter and he laid it out before God. He literally laid it out on the floor and took it before God. He finally was looking behind, beyond his throne, beyond his authority. He's looking beyond the throng of army, throng of soldiers that were out to get him beyond the king Shnecherib. He was instead looking at his throne to the throne of the great king and focused his attention on God. Not only is the Lord the king of Israel and the king of all nations, he is the creator of the heavens and earth. And as Hezekiah prayed, he became lost in worship as he realized the greatness of the Lord, the only true God. He started out praying out of desperation, but it quickly turned to an attitude of worship as he was reflecting on God's greatness. This is a perfect example for us to follow as we pray about life's problems. When we focus our prayers on the Lord rather than the problem and how great and powerful he is, it helps us put our problems in the perspective. King Hezekiah now had one great burden on his heart. It wasn't that he would have more time to live, it wasn't that he would be saved, that he wouldn't have to be in captivity. 
It was that the God of Israel would be glorified before all the nations of the earth. See, Hezekiah was changing how he prayed. Instead of praying for things of himself, he was praying that God would be glorified through these events that were happening. That his name would be honored. And he asked the Lord to save the people of Judah, not for their sake, but for the glory of his great name. You see, some people tend to rush into prayer whenever they face a problem. For Hezekiah, this time it wasn't the case. He was a man who at all times sought the blessing of the Lord on his people. He sought to know the word of God and the will of God, and this gave him power in prayer. Again, I already told you how God would deliver his people, so we know that God heard Hezekiah's prayer and responded, saying that they would be delivered, and sure enough, they were. I said earlier in this passage that for the Jewish people, worshiping in the temple was the heartbeat of their nation, the heartbeat of their culture, the heartbeat of their relationship with God. If that wasn't right, nothing else would be either. That's really what the bottom line is this morning, that we need to make worshiping God, especially through prayer, the heartbeat of everything we do. If we don't, then nothing will work right. Again, that doesn't mean we'll be invaded, but it does mean we won't be living our lives to their full potential, the way God had intended. I talked about threats we may be facing in life and how they can bring us down. Well, if worshiping God is at the heartbeat of everything you do, it will allow God to take that threat and use it instead for his good. My first application point this morning is probably something you've said to your kids if you have them. That is to take out the garbage. Going back to my story about the thrift store earlier, they had a system to sort and prioritize things of value by disposing, while disposing of those that did not. What would it look like for you to do the same thing in your life? Think about what your house would look like if you never took out the garbage. We have things in our lives that are cluttering them up with garbage, taking up room and distracting us from things of importance, things of true and real value. In order to live a life of prayerful worship, we need to first make room for God in our life. My second application point is to lay out your threats before God. In verses 14 through 19, we read how Hezekiah literally laid the letter out before him in his kingdom. We can use this prayer as a model when we take our request before God. You'll have an opportunity to do that in a moment. The first thing we can learn from Hezekiah's prayer is that he got alone with God. When he knew his city was about ready to be attacked, he didn't run to his generals, he didn't run to his advisors to come up with a battle plan. Instead, he went off by himself, away from the noise of life, and prayed before God. Hezekiah's prayer was open and honest. He didn't lay back, he laid it all out before God. It's okay to pray your frustrations to God, to tell him what you're truly feeling, And he already knows how you're feeling, so if you're hiding it, it's not doing any good, so you might as well be open and honest. Hezekiah's prayer was honoring, humble, and respectful of who God is. He knew his place as king, but he knew God's place as the ultimate king. He humbled himself because he knew that he was truly in a place before the king of kings. Sometimes I feel like when we pray, we go almost like 
you've probably heard the vending machine analogy, where we're just going to God, asking things from him, telling him we want this, telling him we want him to deliver us in a certain way, a plan we've created. Well, that's not who God is. We need to approach God with respect, with honor, as the king of kings. Hezekiah's prayer was bold. Because Hezekiah spent so much time in prayer, he didn't have to wonder if God was going to hear him him or not. He knew God was listening, and because of this, he was able to pray boldly. God hears our prayers, so pray bold prayers. And finally, Hezekiah's prayer was dependent. Hezekiah knew that God was the only one who would be able to help him, and he fully depended on God for strength and deliverance. As the worship team comes forward, I want to give you an opportunity to use the model that Hezekiah gave us. As we close in worship, the altar is open for you to come and lay out before God whatever it is that you need to, just as Hezekiah did with his letter. The same God who wiped out the army of 185 soldiers is here for each and every one of us today. There's nothing too small or too big for him. Or maybe you don't have a threat in your life right now and you have simply grown distant from God and just need to leave some things at the altar in order to make space for him. Whatever it is, the altar is open. God is here. He is listening. Allow him into your heart and into your life.